All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 113 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. And uh, yeah, there's some different faces on the screen today, so I'd like to welcome Jeff Westlake... Welcome, sir, Hello. and thank you for joining us. And rising for us, Chris. It's been a hundred episodes, gentlemen, since you were both last on, which is absolutely amazing. Back then, I oh, didn't wow. think I didn't think this show would get to a hundred episodes, let alone fifty. You were episode thirteen the last time, and yeah. you know, wow, the years have flown by. So it's great to have you back on. Obviously, for people who are wondering who is Jeff Lake and why is he on the Kiss FAQ podcast, the last time he was on was because he had just released. Hotter than, hotter than hell. Yeah, I was listening to this this afternoon. I gotta say, man, it, it still grabs me as some of those tones coming out of the speakers are just bang on for what the Kiss album was. So, very, yeah. very cool. If, if you haven't checked that out, um, can people still get that? And how did it do for you? That was going to be my first question. Was Obviously, that was way back then when it was just coming out and kind of getting publicized. How did that do for you, and how was the reaction that you got to it? It actually did very well. I was I was quite shocked, um, to be honest with you. And, and uh, you know, they can still get it. You can still get it by, by uh, going. Actually, we're going about ready to change. We're about ready to change how you can get it. It's never been available digitally. I've always made it a, a physical product because my whole my whole ambition with that album was to improve it, not to let it get sucked the life out of it by going digital. You know, so so I actually got the license to go digital, and then I got to thinking about it. And the guys that were with me are like, "Why would we do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, you're right. Why would we do that?" And so so it's a physical product. It's going to be available here pretty soon on the Hydrogen.com site. Um, and then I'm also going to be listing that with Amazon.com. You can get it on CD Baby and stuff like that now. But um, as things unfold throughout the rest of the year, there'll be more and more information that you guys will be able to pump out, you know, however you want to. I'll, I, as usual, I'll give the information to Chris, and then Chris can give it to you, or I can send it to you same time, Julian. But uh, it's still available out there, and I still get, you know, at least monthly, I get comments about somebody's picked up the CD, so it's it's very cool. Yeah, and you know, again, for people out there who think they've heard every single sort of Kiss tribute, there is no kazoo or ukulele on these songs. You know what what is cool about how you approached it is that you were going, you know, for the real hotter than hell sound on it, and that really jumps yeah. through the speakers, and like I I can hear that it's kind of like an updated sonic quality to what hotter than hell was and is the the kiss version just with a whole lot more depth to the sonic clarity so i i mean it's really cool from that perspective and you know tim mcfate i, I believe it was tim way back when uh, actually interviewed you for the kiss faq so this is actually your third 
uh, mm -hmm. interaction yeah. with us, which is, is really cool. And that interview is still, you know, that just popped up on Facebook because I, I don't think it's still on the FAQ because of how I've muddled things around. So that's on the Hydrogen official Facebook page still, the interview that Tim did with you. And he goes into quite a right. bit of detail. He speaks music. I don't, other than, you know, I know which end of the guitar to hold. Um, I can't tell you. You don't what. speak guitar in these? <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you what note I'm playing. I, I mean, I do know an, a difference between an A and an A suspended four, but, uh, you know, that's about it. Um, you know, Tim really knows music, so he, he went into quite a bit of detail about that. Um, Chris, why don't you take yeah. over and uh, take us to the next page? Yeah, well, we'll start right off the bat. It's great to be back. Thank you for Hi. having us. I do, and Julian can say the... Uh, the cards and letters have been flowing into the Kiss FAQ, you know, head office, you know, dying to know when am I going to be back. So here I am, you know, everyone can rejoice. I'm finally back. I'm here. Thank you. My loving audience is here. God love and, you. And, and right right now you're here. You can't ban anyone. So everyone's safe. I, I it's, it's a free I, I for all. I the background. Don't think I, I can't. Well, see, see I, I, I was under the impression that this was a Trump executive order. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Watch that beer, uh, Julian. <laughs> Space bear. Good one. <laughs> so, uh, so Jeff, we've already talked about the last Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell album, and the last time that you were on, we kind of teased that there was another project coming, and I think you're just about at the stage now where you're ready to tell us a little bit more about what you've got running in the iron. So what do you, tell us a little bit more about what's coming up. Well, what we did, when, when we did the Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell project, and let, let's cut the long name because on here I won't get in trouble. So when we redid Hotter Than Hell, um, we did it with the with the ambitions of improving what was considered by many as well as myself to be a phenomenally well executed song written out because you know as all the praise that Kiss gets the initial album the, the freshman effort I mean you know let's face it you can go back through time and you're not going to come up with maybe one or two other albums that yielded that many stunning songs as that first Kiss album did, you know, and, and I'm not one of these guys that goes, oh, well, everything was okay except for the love theme from Kiss. Are you kidding me? I love that song. You know, let me know. I actually do that acoustically. So, you know, there, it's a great album, but with Hotter Than Hell, you know, it just, it sonically sounded so terrible. And I don't know if it was Kerner and Wise or what the deal was, because a lot of people want to say, well, it was the time. Really? Because Hart was releasing albums back then that sonically sounded amazing. You know, other bands were releasing albums back then that sounded sonically amazing, whether it had been Aerosmith's Get Your Wings album or whatever the case was. So there was something going on there, but the whole edifice of it was to make a better sounding record so we could listen to it. Well, basically so I could listen to it because I was the <laughs> asshole going, God, I can't listen to this. You know, and, and you hear all this stuff live. And it was never the same. It always had so much more power, so much more depth. So after we did the first album, you know, I'm sitting there with my boys, uh, which I, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I have some incredible friends, and and they all happen to be amazing musicians. And so we're all sitting around and listening to the final product. And Mark Carlisle, we call him, we call him the Shark. He said, you know, the rest of these albums don't sound so good either. Comparing now, you know, if you hear things now, so you know, and that even goes that even goes for the Almighty Destroyer. As cutting edge as that album was, and greatest, it didn't quite have the depth and sound it needed. So 
we all started thinking, hey, let's redo these. So we've already done the first album. We've already done Dress to Kill. So now it's, it's we have the drums done for almost everything. So now over the next several months, we're going to be finishing it up. And the goal is, and now whether this happens or not, I don't know, but there will be something happen on, on Halloween this year. The goal is, is to put out a little thing that includes all of it and some bonus stuff as well, just as a tribute to go on with that. And, and the main reason for it is, is we wanted to have the modern day Sonic ability that it can have, but not not making it modern. Don't anybody get me wrong. If you heard Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell, you know that I did not make that song, that album modern. We stuck with the original tones, the original feel. I mean, you know, everything. If you go and listen to the songs and time them, they're almost exactly to the second. You know, we did everything the way they did it. We just just want to get what we have today to offer that those guys didn't have back then. Um, I think if you read in Paul's book, he was talking about the first couple albums and the fact that back then he didn't know anything about studio and he didn't know that you could actually push the gauges into the red a little bit. And those guys, Kerner and Wise, and I'm not I'm not talking about them, I'm just stating the fact from what Paul said, didn't push the gauges into the red or didn't quite make that guitar bite the way it could have because they were afraid to clip the mic. Well, nowadays we all know that you can clip the mic a little bit and you can push it into the red to get those sounds. So with all the homework that we did for the first album, which was finding out, you know, what guitars were used, what amps were used. Of course, everybody knows that Gene's used an Ampeg. He's only ever used Ampeg. And, and you know, his at that time, his custom-made basses, which were done privately for him, um, you know, but we still found, we went out and got a, a Gibson Grabber, you know, and we went out and got something that was very close to Gene's sound, and we sat for days until we got it. And so... That's just what we're doing. We just decided to go ahead and do the whole thing. We wanted to do the whole thing because it's fun. Um, you know, we have a couple different angles that we're looking at it. We, we, we pretty much already have a name for the set, but I'm not going to give it away because I don't want some jack leg out there to go running with mine and Chris's <laughs> idea. And so, um, you know, and I have to say for everybody watching that, that Mr. Rising Force, who's just above my head in this screenshot, is going to be credited with the name of this set. So it's just really cool stuff, you know, and it's hopefully it's something for the fans to like. And the one thing that I do get asked from people who I have talked to about, what are you going to do for a cover? Well, you saw the cover to Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell. It's going to be right along those lines. We're going to keep it all sexed up, but it's going to be a little more risque and a little hotter. Let me ask you something about, um, you know, you're talking about capturing the sounds and, you know, pushing things into the red. Where do you start with the song when you want to start trying to recreate the character, the sonic character of the sound? Do you start with the drums or do you start with the guitar? Um, and and then how, the do, drums. How, do you, how do you approach each? Do you, do you mess around with miking? Are you messing around with different kits, uh, different setups? I mean, how, how do you approach it? Well, we went out and we got a 1974 Pearls drum kit. And, you know, you find out what Peter played, you know, is his rack across the front? Is it an 8, 10, 12? No, his was a 10, 12, and 14, 16. Um, and you find out what kind of symbols he had, and then you go out and you drag him behind the car for a while so you can <laughs> get them all beat up and so they don't sound quite so great. And um, But we go that route. We go drums first. And we want to make sure that the feel, uh, and with Peter, it's very important. It'd be a lot different with Eric, with either Eric, 
if, if we were trying to to mimic Singer uh, or Carr, it would be a much different approach because those guys are more on it. They're they're on the beater, and sometimes in Eric Carr's case, he even pushed the beat quite a bit uh, in the original stuff that he did. And then once once he got in the band, songs like Strutter and and Calling Doctor Love and some of the other songs they changed because of the way that he pushes pushes the beat. Um, you know, so we thought that was all cool. So we go with the drums and we sit there and study it. Uh, the guy who's drumming on, on all this, his name is John Cardellino. He's from Cleveland, Ohio, and he's got to be one of the top two best drummers I've ever personally been around in my life because the guy is just incredible. Um, he's also the drummer in Hydrogen, uh, which is the reason why he's a drummer in Hydrogen, <laughs> uh, because Lord knows in the past I've gone through some drummers. I mean, there for a while, Hydrogen was hydrogen and then in parentheses it had Judas Priest too. It's like every album I went through a drummer, somebody blew up behind the kit. You know, it was I was I was feeling pretty pretty wild there for drummers. But so we go with the drums and then after that I bring in uh, the shark. I bring in Mark Carlisle, who is incredible in his right because he is uh, attention to detail heavy. I mean, you know, we'll listen to the song. And if there's a bass note in there and it sounds like that, you know, Gene farted, Mark's going to fart and that's fine. And, you know, and he's just, but he's got the feel, you know, that's what Mark understands about music is he's got the feel. Um, it, it, it's a big difference to go in and play something to play it. It's a whole different animal to go in and play something for the feel and to try to keep the original vibe of what was going on. And the most important part for us is to keep that original vibe because I don't want people walking away from it going, oh, well, that sounded good, but it didn't really remind me of the old one. Everybody I've talked to, uh, for the most part, about the Hotter Than Hell remake was they were shocked and surprised at how true to the song we stayed. And that's that's very important. Now, when we get into guitars, Julian, it's, uh, it's a Marshall's 1960A you know, that's what they had. Yeah. We've got uh, Gibson Marauders, the Gibson Les Paul with the old 70s you know, pickups in the D-series pickups like Ace had at the time. Um, and you play with the gains. I mean, if you listen to a Kiss album, whether it be the which any one of the first six studio albums and include both live albums, you can distinctively hear the difference between Paul and Ace's guitars. You know, Paul's much drier, much more in your face. Ace had more gain, had a little verb on it, kind of hid back in the back a little bit until it was time to really showcase. And so that's exactly the way we approach it. Um, and to me, that's really important because this isn't a tribute to say, oh, hey, man, watch how many times I can sweep the floor at the sweeping guitar lick, you know, and show off. And this is this is paying tribute to the guys who made people what they are today, you know. There's not a band in the world that can't say that there wasn't some influence from Kiss or there wasn't some influence from Sabbath, kind of, you know, just showing what I mean, you know. Uh, and so we try to stick close to it. And all we're trying to do is just bring a modern day edge uh, and sound. We don't want to affect the songs in any ways. We don't want to affect the attitude. We don't want to affect the vibe. We just want to affect the sonic of it. And that's it. Well, then you got the vocals too on top of that and we've discussed this before too it's mimicry yeah. isn't really what you're going for we know musically we're kind of going for that make it as much but and especially with paul it's just so impossible to really do paul justice if you're almost doing an impersonation you know but it's more important to get the vibe and get the inflection of 
if you're looking for that, you need to take the song in that direction where you're really capturing the vibe of the, the performance itself. Vocally, you're not going to get someone who's going to emulate Paul because virtually most people will tell you cover bands, you can find people hit just about everyone and the Paul is usually the sticking point that no one is happy with. That's the, so weak, the weakest link every time. time is the Paul Stanley. No offense to anyone yeah. who tries to do it. I give you respect for trying to do it. But even Paul has said, you know, that he, you know, he, I mean, he's Paul Stanley. He's unique. Yeah. Paul doesn't like doing Paul anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You just cursed yourself. Uh, you, I you, mean, you, you just totally, right. you totally froze up there for a second when you said that. So I thought you had just tempted fate. Oh. Uh, I mean, let's let, let's let's talk about that. Why why that came up and why that why that's in front of us. You know, Paul can't do Paul. Well, hey, look, that guy's a one of a kind. There's never going to be another one. There's not going to be another guy who can do what he does. And when I say when I say that I'm not just talking about the vocals, I'm talking about doing what he does from a from an entertainment standpoint, from a musician standpoint, from a vocal standpoint, from a creative standpoint. You know, and everybody talks about, well, you know, Paul's voice isn't quite what it used to be live anymore. Well, how many shows has this guy done? And never, ever in my life until he started having the issues a few years ago, did he ever pull off a note? Yep. If the note went here he went here yep. it wasn't well i'll do the octave of it down here paul believes if you pay for a ticket to see kiss you see kiss huh. not a reasonable facsimile but you see kiss and, and you've so, seen them recently right I, i've talked well, to you i know I you've seen september, them recently i saw the last date of the last world of the last american tour uh september 10th i think it was uh in huntington west virginia freaking amazing and his voice his voice, why he didn't go to those notes anymore because he understands what's going on. He still put on the great show, but his voice was strong and sounded amazing. Well, the best thing for him is that he's come across now that he's understanding his limitations more and he's he's singing not better maybe, but smarter. And he's mm -hmm. just keeping it within himself and he's trying. The issues are there. There's no, no one can deny that you're going to hear croaks if you go listen to a YouTube video and find it. But it gets masqueraded in the live show. It's not as big of an issue if you're there amongst all the spectacle as opposed to watching the yeah, clip I, afterwards. You know, when I but went to Vegas and I had people around me and he's singing, uh, I mean, when I was kind of focusing in on the stuff that I knew where to kind of listen, then you hear it. But, you know, when you're part of the experience, I'm sorry, you're still wrapped up in the KISS experience, which is the show. It has always been the show. And, you know, I got to say... It's the show on Earth. I, I sure. still have a tremendous amount of respect for Paul Stanley. Yes, his voice is not what it was, but Paul Stanley still preaches from the rock and roll pulpit. He is up there. He is preaching the gospel according to the rock and roll to the audience. He is still leading the congregation. He's still the ultimate showman. He's still the ultimate frontman to me. Very few people have that sort of command. I mean, when he is up there and you're looking up at Paul Stanley, the star child, I go all little boy. I mean, I'm a total fanboy when Paul's up there. You know, you look at Gene, you know, it's like the God of Thunder, Paul Stanley, you know. I mean, these two guys have done so much for American popular culture. Uh, it's just incredible that they're still up there doing it. So, you know, you're lucky. They've you actually done a lot for American popular culture and in a lot of ways have probably affected a good majority of Japan's popular culture. Yeah. I mean, look at the stuff they just did here recently. What was it we were talking about yesterday, Chris, when they the did that thing? Yeah, uh, they, I mean, good Lord. 
I mean, you didn't see him coming asking Aerosmith. <laughs> well, you know, they came in. They came and asked Kiss. I mean, you know, I mean, enough said. I love Aerosmith. I love Steven Tyler, but it's not Kiss. Well, and the one thing you can still say about Paul and the way he is today is that we kind of fans we sit and analyze everything. But if you read the reviews of virtually any show, maybe one in a hundred mentions something about how Paul's struggling these days. It's Kiss are for the casual fan now. They're they're not for that diehard. They're trying to hit the masses and hit those casual fans. And to them, they are lost in the live show. And it's not something that is a deal breaker to them at this point. Paul could still carry on hey, for Paul, another couple Paul, of years at this point. Paul's struggles are totally irrelevant to the Kiss fanatic, to the Kiss spectacle. I mean, sure. if he was going up every night and having this thing, like that'd be a different story. Yeah. But right. he's not. I mean, right. he went and he he went and had a surgery. He got that fixed. And I mean, the man's just being smart about it. And like I said at the beginning of when we started talking about this segment right here, there'll never be another. That is a uniqueness that I think there won't be another as long as the three of us are alive. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a uniqueness to itself that that needs to go down as what it is. Won't be another gene. I mean, you know, even though Spiro comes really close, it's still not gene though. I mean, there's little things here and there. You know. Um, so, hey, you know, God bless Paul Stanley. <laughs> well, keep when it comes to focus on the records, man, we just try to come as close as we can on this stuff. I mean, sure. uh, we're not going to sound like Paul. Nobody's going to sound like Paul. No. But what you can't, what you can get is you can recreate that energy, you yeah. know, recreate the, the verber and everything that goes on with it and, and, and try to put the fan in that place again, even though it's a different tonality. You know, but I got news for everybody. I don't care what what cover band you go see, uh, whether it be my bros band, rock and roll over tribute in Canada or Mr. Speed or whatever. Like you all said, unfortunately, the guy playing Paul, I'm sorry. That, that, that's a tough mountain for that person to climb. They have the hardest job in that band because it's yes. The, yes. the fan is going to be that's the front man. That's the first person you notice. All three other guys can be completely fantastic but it's going to jump at you immediately if the Paul is out of step. And, th and that's why I like Paul Stanley. you got to respect the guys trying Paul Stanley a heck of a <laughs> lot more because, I'm sorry, I guess Gene's easier to kind of emulate. Um, yep. Ace, Ace Frehley is easy to emulate. Let's not go there. Um, no one's going to say that. Well, yeah, no see one... that every day. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to try to be good and behave. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, same, same here. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, some other goodies. And uh, before we go back and start talking about the first album and Dress to Kill and go album by album about, you know, I've got some questions on each of those. You know, when, sure. you talk, when you talk about some of the goodies, you know, one thing that pops to my mind immediately, especially when we're talking about Paul's voice in recent years, is stuff off Sonic Boom and Monster, perhaps. You know, is there any interest, you know, songs like Long Way Down, incredible song possibly one of the best paul stanley written songs has come very late in his career and mm -hmm. what struck me on monster with that song was that is where i really noticed the loss of power in his voice you know any interest in kind of interpreting or you know kind of doing material as late as that you know when when you talk about doing this sort of uh recording project um there, there, there has been some thought about it. you know when, when I go when I step away from Sonic Boom or Monster, um, I, I think a lot of those same things. I mean, you know, uh, I, my problem with Sonic Boom and Monster, and even though Paul produced it, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not going to try to knock on him, but those albums are too dry. They're 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 too dry. They're not deep enough. There's not enough depth. I don't know if Paul wanted to go back subconsciously and pull Kerner and Wise all over again, or, or whatever. But those albums could have been a lot bigger and they could have been a lot better because I think the songs on those albums, most of them are just like wow, they can still write like this, you know. Um, and then one of my favorites is Back to the Stone Age. Yeah, <laughs> I just love that song, man. I'm just, I can't help it. But but Long Way Down is one of those songs. that I remember the first time I heard it, when it ended, I just kind of looked over at uh, Jeff Boggs, who's my brother from another mother, uh, and the guy who plays all the solos on the Kiss stuff. He's, he's like a human jukebox. He just knows it. And I looked at him, and we both went, wow. Wow. Yeah. What a tune. But, you know, yeah, you're right about Paul's voice. And, and who knows? They could have taken some time, and they may have been on a schedule. And and uh, there are tricks to the trade to be able to add that power back, you know. But maybe Paul felt like it was cheating the fans. I don't know. I, you know, I haven't talked to him about it. So, so I don't know. But there has been some thought about doing that. And if we were to do that, okay, if we were to do that type of thing, that stuff would get the modern touch. We would come out of the – out of the hey let's keep it like it is because that's a modern thing um and i just wish the sonic boom and monster would have sounded like revenge Ugh, yeah especially sonic <laughs> I mean, sonic boom's production i think monster is better than sonic boom personally but again is. a very it it, it's a very subjective thing when you listen to these albums um I, I just hear too much kind of background fluttering in, in, in Sonic Boom that that destroys the clarity of the songs. And yet, just like, uh, you know, I just sang the praises a long way down, for me on Sonic Boom, Say Yeah is the Kiss mm-hmm. anthem that never really was. I mean, Paul decided, um, what was it uh, on that one, Modern Day Delilah was going to be the anthem. I'm sorry. Say yeah, you, say yeah. I'm not. Yeah. And they gave say yeah a shot live and then gave up on it. Yeah. Well, they, they, instead of forcing it to the audience and making it become the anthem, they kind of just decide to go back well, to the tried and true. And I feel the whole problem with that is the is the um, uh, the connection and the, the 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 need to maybe I don't know I can't say that again I haven't talked to these guys to want to hook your horse to Walmart fuck Walmart. I mean, I think that that really did, because now once you do that, you're you're stuck with the parameters of Walmart. Yeah. Since when has Kiss ever stuck in a parameter? I I didn't understand that. You know, oh God, ACDC, ACDC signed with Walmart. Well, you know, great. Um, but ACDC is a different band, and um. I don't know if they just don't feel the need to push with video anymore or, you know, oh, we're not going to make you money off the video because it's going to be on YouTube and it's going to be here and it's going to be there. Um, as far as I know, they never even tried that song live, did they? Which one? Say yeah. Which one? Yo, yeah, say, say, yeah. Say, say yeah. They, they, play, they, they played, not yeah. enough. But but I, but I thought they pulled it out of the set a little too fast. And you look at them now, there's nothing from Monster or Sonic Boom at this point. They've kind of... So you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, you know, I it's like... Um, I, I don't know. See, I'm I'm from the old school, man. I'm sorry. When a band puts an album out, I want to hear at least five or six tunes from that record yeah. as a fan. You know, yeah. you, that's what you're there for. You know, some people are there for. You know, everybody wants to say, "Oh, I'm just here to see the old Kiss." But no, you're not. If there's a product out, you bought the product. Or if you're 
if you're an asshole, you downloaded it illegally, and I hope that your crap sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and so they're listening to it, and they're doing their thing, and, and you know, and I've never, I've never been of the school thought that Gene and Paul gave up, um, but, yeah, you know, I can't, I'm trying to remember if I if he played modern day Delilah in Huntington. I don't, I don't think, think I heard. So. I don't think no, I heard that, anything off those two while. records. Yeah. But to their yeah. to their credit, when Monster came out, the first handful of shows. I mean, they did the cruise first, and then there was South America. They did four, four. Did they do five? Uh, they I'm did, not even remember. They, no, they did five. I mean, they even did yeah. Tommy song. So you know. Yeah, and but then yeah. two three shows later, boom, back to the rest, and it was down to just one. <laughs> you know, and that's what they do. They get. And I think Bruce has done interviews with this too, where he's like. Getting them to change the set is just something that, you know, yes, they often like to, for years, blame Ace and Peter and say we can't play anything new with them. But now without them, it's still going into the same old, same old. And it's just that they, they look at crowd reaction. They, oh, they don't know this. Move back. Give them, give them Dr. Love instead because they know it. Yeah, they've also been a band that has done it too often. I mean, you go back to the early 80s or Creatures. They were throwing six songs in the set off the new album. You know, Lick It Up, five songs. You know, and then it was declining. I think uh, Animal Eyes, Burn, Bitch, Burn, what lasted one one <laughs> show, thank goodness. But, you know. Right. Yeah. That song shouldn't have made the record, but that's another Yeah, cool but that, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You even look at, like, the Animal Eyes sets, and everything there was just the last three albums. Even the classic material was taking a back seat. They were still trying to push animalized lick it up and creatures at that point so they've a band they're a band that's gone from one extreme to the other yeah. and have kind of lost that comfort point of around hot in the shade and revenge where yeah. obviously paul's not going to do a 25 song set ever again simple as that not oh. not going to happen at this age um they found that balance that kind of sweet spot where they kind of respected their history past present and you know left you thinking about the future let's go back and start talking about how you've approached the first album i mean that album is beloved by so many people as it, you know straight out of the gate kiss hits you with an album that's got deuce my possibly all-time favorite kiss song um hundred thousand years black diamond cold gin how do you well, number one, I want to ask you, what was the song that you had the most fun working on on that, uh, you know, on that part of the project? Which one of those is the one that just jumps out of you and says, I love that one? It was the most 100, fun. A to... hundred thousand years. You know, I want to know what kind of heroin Ace was getting at that time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the crap that you hear everybody ODing on nowadays. It was the good stuff, man. It was nice, nice creative stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you listen to Hundred Thousand Years, and that's you know, um, I compare Hundred Thousand Years, even though there was an outside writer with this next song, you know, and I'm not, not not trying to jump on you, Julie, but I'm making a comparison. King of the Nighttime World. Um, those songs are really kind of they tie together for me in the fact that if you were to hear those songs separately and you never told that they were Kiss, Hundred Thousand Years is a completely different monster than the rest of that record, as is Black Diamond. Black Diamond showed a progressive side, and this is before they'd met Rush, yep. you know? I mean, you know, and 100,000 Years had a progressive side to it, too, because because I remember when the reunion happened in 96, and Ace um, talked on the uh, 
the 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 compilation that came out, the DVD. Uh, gosh, what was the name of it, Chris? The, it wasn't a DVD. It was actually VHS at that time. The documented the whole '96 reunion. Oh, second coming. Uh, second coming. Second coming. Thank you. Coming um, um, Ace was talking about God, man. I actually wrote that solo. Where'd that come from? You know, and he had to relearn. Of course, we all know now. Tommy Thayer stepped in and said, "Here, dude. <laughs> Here's how you do this." Um, but hundred thousand years, just such a such a uh, removal from the typical stuff that they did. And, and I'm not taking anything away from the, what they did because my favorite all-time Kiss song is Firehouse. Um, that's the first rock solo I ever learned to play was Firehouse. I mean, there's just something about that one droning note that he just kept taking sharp and sharper and sharper and then drop it back down. As a kid, when I got that album in 73 or 74, uh, right when it came out, it was what, the beginning of 74, yeah, it, it's been it's been a threat on the FAQ yeah, recently. February the we've 8th. had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah, February yeah. the eighth, nineteen seventy four, not the eighteenth, yeah, yeah. like it was right, so, right. so commonly okay. thought. But you know, I but a hundred thousand years is just so much fun. It's so much fun from a lot of standpoints. Um, but the solo being the most fun because it's just such a such a wild. Uh, you listen to the solo on Strutter, listen to the solos on any of the other songs. Um, you know, if you listen to the solo on Deuce and the solo on Firehouse, you can see where Ace kind of ripped himself off a little bit to make one of those other ones up because it was just, it was his style. And and God, was he not just one of the most creative human beings in the world, those first six records? I mean, Ace Fraley's stamp on, on how he influenced the kids coming up behind him as a rock guitarist is always going to be there. I don't care what any of the other players say. I don't care what the Blackmores or the Iomis or the Shankers or... Anybody in America, Kiss had your attention. And Ace's solos, while they're not technically difficult in any way, they're memorable. And that's a that's that's bigger than technical any day in my book. I come from the Gene Simmons book of, you know, it sounds like a bee, shoot that damn thing. You know, and so I come from that from that style. And but a hundred thousand years was really, really the song that, you know, that you just kind of look at and go, Oh wow, this is gonna be really cool. <laughs> Let's go to the opposite side of that question then. Which song on there is not? Which is the one that's forced? The one that you're like not int- not particularly interested in? I don't know. Did you in- include Kiss in Time on the album? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's probably, there. yeah. It's there. That, would, that would be the one that's forced. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Um, it's just a basic 4-4 four, four swing... And I even thought back in the day when I got the records as a kid, and I'm, I'm really upset about because as a kid, you know, you get older and you think I've got one of the original Kiss albums, and come find out, nope, nope, there, this was this was a nine-song release first, you know, it didn't have Kiss and Time on it. So, um, but that song's a little bit forced just for the fact that it's just, I don't know. After you get into it, you start playing it, you're like, ah, you know, and it was kind of thrown on them. Oh so, yeah, I, I mean we absolutely. we we now know that it was Neil Bogart and you know that yeah. th- that they were very reticent about doing it and he promised not mm-hmm. to put it on the album it would only be for the promotion and well uh-huh. tough shit you know? that, yeah. and you go Shh, let's go to the pressing plant real quick <laughs> 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 welcome to the industry boys 
You know? Yeah. So, yeah what, exactly. what about what about exactly. love theme from Kiss? I, I, you mentioned that at the top of the show. I mean, did you find yourselves going in and going, oh, let's put Acrobat back on the end of there, you know? Or was it just, uh, how, how do you approach that one on, on the album? Well, when we were doing Hotter Than Hell, you know, Mark was coming in and he was playing some parts and we'd sit there and I'd go, ah, I think they threw that in on the Alive. I think they threw that in on the Alive version. That's not on the Hotter Than Hell version. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So we're very stringent. You know, if this is the way this album is, that's the way this is going to be now. And and uh, because, again, like we talked at the very beginning, hey, man, it's all about the vibe. You know, it's all about the original vibe. I don't want to stray from it. And I'm not sitting here saying that we haven't redone a live either. <laughs> um, but, you know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be the first it, band, right? I mean, Kiss yeah, kind of yeah. did that, didn't they, in, in the first place? That's true. So. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, no, we're uh, not supposed to know about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever happens on the record is what we're going to do. And, and, and there are, you know, it's just, there are thoughts like, um, on Parasite, for instance, God, man, what a great jam Peter had going on on the live album, you know? And then you sit there and you want to do it. And John and I talked about it. And I'm like, nah, man, we're going to keep it to this, the simple, you get you get four bars and you're out. <laughs> you know? And, and, yeah, I'm sorry, I know you want to play, but not today. Uh, you know, but, yeah, it, they're always a thought, Julian. It's always a thought. But at the end of the day, it's got to be about that product and how it was originally released, and that's how we keep it. Fair, en- fair enough. Yeah, I want to go on a tangent quickly, and, and Chris, I'll, I'll, sure. let you, I'll let you get back get into, into, this, into the show in a minute. Um, there's sometimes I listen to a Kiss album, and a song grabs me for some reason, and I go and pick up my guitar. I, I then load up a tab site and I, I say, okay, how are they playing that? I see if I can figure it out for myself first. Then I see how someone else thinks they've done it. And then, you know, I, I think these tab sites generally suck. Um, totally, totally, <laughs> yeah. totally wrong. <laughs> and then I play with the progression. I, I, I get it down and I'm like, okay, that sounds a bit like this. And then it takes me off into my own music. It's it served uh-huh. it served as an inspiration. It, it's when you've been working on any of this stuff, has it? ever developed into screw that i'm going somewhere else with this right now it's inspired you musically into something to write something of your own um to start kind of working on ideas that are not kiss oh yeah yeah i mean that's happened a lot throughout the years um uh, a favorite term of geezer butlers for black sabbath is i may have pinched that you know (laughs) yeah um you know, and so yeah, I mean, I've I've probably written three separate songs just off the riff of God of Thunder. Um, you know, and and there's only so much you can do, you know, but but there is inspiration from things, you know, um, uh, Parasite, for instance. Good Lord, what a great riff! And you know, you sit there and listen to that riff, and you start playing with it, yeah. and I've I've actually used that riff in sections live before, and guitar solos live, and things that we do, and. Uh, and hydrogen or other things that I do live, um, you know. So it's a great source of inspiration. Um, and then probably the biggest one, you know, how many drummers have you heard throw in and try to emulate the beginning of Strutter? Oh, yeah. You know, even if it's in the middle of a song, they'll put it in there. I mean, you know, those things are just all also inspirational. Um, 
I tell you, one of the biggest things I found inspirational was when we were doing the second Hydrogen record. And it was really funny because our sound man, who is also very uh, instrumental inside the studio with us, his name is, uh, we call him The Rev, and his name's Davo Chandler. And we were sitting there doing, I can't remember, maybe This Life or something like that. But he goes, hey, remember that keyboard, nothing to lose? Let's put a piano right there, just like that. I mean, look. You know, it's just like that. You can't get away from things like that. And one of the things that aggravates me the most, Julian, is when people go, oh, well, you know, kiss are okay musicians. Really? You you can kiss a lot of my ass because if, you, if you've never tried to go back and redo their stuff, they're clever. God, they're clever. Paul's really clever. Paul doesn't get enough. I remember a couple years ago when Ace was ripping on Paul's rhythm playing live um, and stuff like that. Well, I can I can rip on Ace's live playing live too, and hey, hey, dude, watch the edge of that stage. Oh, poop, there he went. Um, <laughs> but you know, they were clever, man. Paul's clever with what he does, and 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 Gene's clever. And why they may not be Rush or anything like that to me, it doesn't matter about that because their songs are still enduring. They're still grabbing new generations of fans. Uh, when I was at the concert in September, dude, I couldn't tell you how many kids I saw there under the age 18. It was amazing. Yep, true. You know, and I was I was really happy to see it. I was like, God, this is awesome. You know, but but the inspirations there, um, and one of the inspirations came of the nighttime world. Even though uh, who was it, Kim Fowler? Uh, yeah, that was uh, a Hollywood star uh, song before. Yeah, before Kiss so, got you it. Know, but there's still things about that song that I hear. I was working on a song the other day uh, for a new band that I'm in called Heaven's Ashes. Um, and it's going to be a serious 80s record, you know, because that's what everybody wants to do. And so, hell yeah, let's do it. And I actually caught myself ripping off the main chord progression of King of the Nighttime World for a song. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at that point, do I go ahead and just etch in Stanley? <laughs> you know, might as well just give him credit. <laughs> you know, but... Um, it, it is a big thing, and I think if you're a musician out there and you're a musician of today, I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 51, just like me, those things are influential, and they're a big part of what you do, and they are always going to be influential. So if you're sitting there telling somebody, no, that's not the case, you're a liar. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I think you and I were discussing this yesterday, too. A lot of Gene, Gene doesn't get a lot of the credit he does, and unfortunately, I think a lot of that is brought on by himself. Because he <laughs> takes a backseat, he puts his own, he puts himself down. Actually, he does a lot of self-deprecating stuff. With the the show is what's important, and it's about this, and your playing is secondary. But in reality, the guy's a monster player, and he doesn't really pat himself on the back the way that he probably should. No, Gene's the Donald Trump of rock and roll. You know, um, intentions are great, delivery's great. Uh, what he does as a person is great, but he has that moment of stupidity where I he just can't help him. I don't know what. Yeah, he just can't help himself. But Gene Simmons as a human being, wonderful as a bass player, so underrated. Yep. Uh, like we were talking yesterday, Chris, some of the walks that he does in some of those songs. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, Love Gun wouldn't be Love Gun if it wasn't for the bass line in that song. The guitars aren't doing that. The bass is doing that. You know, and you're talking about a guy walking around in these hills with his tongue wagging 90% of the time 
and putting on the show, mm-hmm. but never missing those bass licks. I've seen Kiss live more times than I can shake a stick at. I've never heard him mess that song up. But yet, it, it gets back to what is kind of a core element to music, that, you know, Getty Lee may be able to play an absolutely bitching bass riff, but simple, done perfectly, or the perfect simple bass line for a song, or a drum pattern for a song, or a guitar part for a song. It's like cooking. You can cook a fantastic banquet meal with a hundred ingredients, and it'd be absolutely outstanding. But if you cook an absolutely perfect meal with four ingredients perfectly, you know, it's like, that's what Kiss is to me. It's what they do with what they had, musically, vocally, you know, skills as musicians, as songwriters. They didn't try to be anything that they weren't. They didn't try Uh, and pretend. What they did was they, they harnessed Peter Chris kind of the untrained they they harnessed what he brought into the mix they harnessed what gene brought and put it all together and they kept it simple stupid you know you know yeah sim- simple yeah, as I that mean, and then you know, there's enough listen to critics who said they should be more and they made the elder and as much as i love it you see what happened well <laughs> yeah. yes trying to be outside no, of themselves you know yeah, well, they were trying to go outside their cells, and at that point in time, Gene had bigger, you know, delusions of grandeur, and and you know he was looking at the whole Hollywood side of things, and obviously had read Lord of the Rings one too many times, <laughs> and um, you know, and that's all well and good, um, but I would have liked to seen what Kiss would have been if Peter Chris would have never been in the band because I think he's a terrible drummer. Hmm. I just. I'm sorry, and I know I'm on a KISS site, and I'm going to get some slack for saying that. <laughs> but, you know, as a drummer, to not be able to play your parts consistently in the same places during a song, and if you listen to a KISS album, man, his meter is all over the place, you know, back in the days. And then, of course, you know, all of a sudden, the side four. Guys, did he play on side four of Alive 2? It's most, it, most of it. Most of it, it and and there's sounds some, like Anton to me. There's a uh, it Anton? No, no. it's a uh, no. guy from Stars. Is Anton wasn't in the picture. The guy really? from the guy from yeah, Stars is, is, mm. is the primary suspect for for being there. The primary suspect just because he happens to be in Jersey, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and everybody points to larger than life too. Uh, that one's pro- we assume it's Peter at this point. Gene would have come out and buried him at some point along the way and say it wasn't. That's always the one track that everyone comes out and says there's no possible way that's Peter. But well, we've yet to hear. Yeah, with better. how with how nasty the band have been, particularly towards Peter, um, I, I'm pretty sure it would have come out that it wasn't him if Absolutely. it was not him. You have to listen back to what he managed to do. You know, 76, 75, 76, Destroyer. What he was able to do on that album, I think, carried him through to 77 without without mm-hmm. a doubt. Yeah, sure. That, that that's just well, how, that, how I see it. You have to give credit where credit's due. In seventy, you know, in seventy five, uh, seventy five, seventy six, when they were doing the Destroyer sessions, all of his abilities came from Bob Ezrin and a gun. Yep. You know, and a and a lot. They held his hand. Boy, yeah. Yeah. Hey, boys, go get lunch. Me and him got some work to do. You know, and but it's, at the end of the day, you know, it's. I just get so tired of reading the articles about how great he is, and that's that's third person talk, you know, and it's just 
Um, but but what what, is, his... but what what is great uh, when we talk about how great Peter Chris is? I, I think we got to separate the image from the musician and say that a lot of these guys in the position of where they were, Ace Frehley influenced a lot of people because of mm-hmm. what they saw on stage. And I'm going to say that the same is equally applicable to Peter Chris, that he was a part of Kiss. He was the guy behind the kit with the sticks and that the impressionable kids in the audience who wanted to be drummers or maybe didn't know they wanted to be drummers until they saw Peter Chris, you know, going up on a levitating platform, flames come right. up the side. You know, right. I, I think it's equally valid to be inspired by someone because of what you see without knowing maybe uh, the technical details of his background and his tra- or training or lack thereof and what he did on the on the album. So, you know, to be fair to him, and you know, I'm not trying to deflect. Oh no, I'll be fair to him. I don't think. No, I don't. I know, and in, in, I know in no way thought you were. I don't think the Kiss would be Kiss today if it wasn't if it, if Peter wasn't in the band. Um, you know, I'm talking strictly from a, mus- uh, a musical standpoint. I would have liked to have seen somebody like an Eric Carr in there from the very beginning. But but would have Eric Carr have had the mojo that a Peter Chris had? Mm-hmm. You know. I'm in full, complete, and total agreement with with the diehards out there, Mr. Colatrella, uh, <laughs> that that Peter and Ace's involvement in Kiss, circa '73. I don't know. I guess through '80, '81. Um, if you take those guys out of it and you try to redo it with two other guys, we wouldn't be t- we wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah, we wouldn't be definitely. sitting here talking about it because those guys brought their own their own mojo. They brought their own thing. When they were good, they were good. When they were bad, they were terrible. Um, and they had their their demons. And Paul and Gene did too. I mean, in, in different ways, you know. But uh, gosh, man, I don't. I, personally, now I couldn't hear a different drum solo on Hundred Thousand Years on the Live album. <laughs> I mean, I just can't. Yeah, I don't care what anybody says about that solo. That solo captured a moment in time. Yeah, the woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, you you, yeah. you you could apply that to the bands. With Motley Crue, you know, I'm, I'm just going to sure. pick some out of mind. Nikki Six. <laughs> Nikki yeah, Six. I, come on. Bass player. I mean, basically. He is? He, he, well, allegedly. <laughs> uh, come on. Know, he might have been. <laughs> would they have been a better band? You know, because uh, most of that stuff that he wrote was actually written by you know other people so you know i i guess you can take the same thing and apply it to other bands because when you get past the image would motley Crue have survived without having a guy with his image in it because he was so integral to what they are i mean you can go into other bands wasp into oh shit yeah. you know you know it's it's endless i yeah. mean imagine yeah. metallica with its own who knew how to drum i mean come on yeah <laughs> hey you know at the end of the day you're 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 like a thousand percent correct because it all it's a package deal and and if you want to go watch four guys stand on stage as it was once put by gene and t-shirts and blue jeans go ahead see how exciting that is you know, but with Kiss, it was it was it was a full package. It was music, and that music was good. Everybody says it's not. The entertainment, 
the four separate characters that they created. Um, culture in general, comic books, you know, people go, oh, that's stupid. Really, is it stupid? How stupid would you think it was if you were on the other end of that paycheck? I mean, come on. I mean, and it's not just about the paycheck. It's about what these guys created. It's the brightest working machine in the music industry that has ever been seen and will probably ever be seen. So And still going know, today. Based on still, as, as strong now as it ever was, like in the seventies, you know, yeah, everybody sits there and goes, "Oh no, it's not as strong as in the set." Really, really? Just right. to, yeah, even more. Just a report they that came. they did one hundred and fifty million in merch sales in twenty fifteen, and uh, obviously that's not one hundred and fifty million going into Gene's pocket. That's one hundred and fifty in merch sales. So they've gotten yeah. their cut. They take their cut off the top because this is Kiss, and they don't lose money before you even license a product to my understanding is that you've paid gene and paul because they're not going to wait for your check to bounce you're not going to you're not you're not going to get that license unless daddy gets paid so holy shit you know this is 40 42 years in for every every detractor who criticizes anything about the band you know they're, they're making bank simple as that and and they wouldn't be making bank and you have to understand, I have two different opinions of this whole thing. They're, they're, they're different opinions on both sides of this fence. They wouldn't be making that bank if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Stanley, Simmons, Fraley, and Chris. Oh, without without End of story. End of story. That, that built it. Yeah. You know, despite any limitations of the originals, yeah. that's that's where it was all built upon. It, it took all four. It's so in vogue yeah. to be revisionist. So let's go talking about being revisionist. To a little, to a certain degree. Let's get back to Dress to Kill and you guys approaching that album. Sure. What that album is notable, I guess, for lacking guitar solos. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. It's kind of like the Ron Nevison album of the early, you know, original albums. It's kind of neutered. It's I, I like it less than <laughs> neutered. Hard. Totally <laughs> neutered. That's great. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just don't care for it. I mean, it needs a shot of Viagra. Um, what is what is the I guess the favorite song on that album approaching it from a musical basis when you're disassembling this stuff and trying to recapture it and make it more dressed than dressed to kill oh Julian that was slick like that. nice nice oh, that man good. That's, um, the, that's the beer talk Chris write that down uh. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, actually, there's a there, there's there's a few songs on that album that that really stand out, and um, the first one, let's just start at first. Let's start at one. Loved Room Service. God, loved doing that song, man. Um, that was Paul at his best. That kind of tongue-in-cheek type tune, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and the energy from it was really, really grandeur, and I, I love that song. Um, now let's go to the last. All of us can talk like this because we are from that era. Let's go to the end of side one. Let's go to rock bottom. Okay. Let's go to rock bottom and talk about the Fraley Stanley written tune, which really isn't the Fraley Stanley written tune. It's two different songs that were merged as one. Right. Okay. That song was great to do. Power. Um, that was the sign. That song, and then of course Rock and Roll All Night, and, and, and in some ways other songs too. But Rock Bottom's anthemic, very anthemic. You know, bam, bam, boom, 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 bam. Just yeah. the way they broke up the guitars and they 
they created space to, to, to breathe and to work and to live uh, and for the song to reach out and kind of like, you know, jack slap you around a little bit um, and especially live. But that song was a lot of fun to do. Um, she, just because I love it, I love She, I just love that song. But the surprising track off that album that was a lot of fun to do was um, uh, Love Her All I Can. Oh, that's always fun. Holy that crap. That riff, great riff. That riff. Yeah. I mean, isn't it? It's yeah. like happy, but not too happy. It's just got such a groove to it. When when I started trying to learn that one on guitar, I was like, you know, you start bopping your head and you're like, I feel like I'm in a 60s band here. I mean, it's it, it, it stands out. It's so, it's so different than the rest of the material. Well, now we're talking a few minutes ago about pension. Now, Chris has got it. And I don't know if he's listened to it or not. I think I sent it to you the other day. There's a song on my new solo album, my new blues album, that I, I totally pinched Lever All I Can riff for the song called Midnight Whisper. Mm. You know, it's got the same, it's almost the exact same progression. It's just tweaked, slowed down a little bit. There's a little different roll at the end. But yeah, and I remember when I was in Hydrogen, we, we, were, we did dates with Ace Fraley. Um, and he played that in his live set. And he always did it in soundcheck. I was like, God, man, that's just such a great riff. And he played it so effortlessly. You know, he would sit there and sound check and play it. And of course, nobody could hear anything else because his amps are so loud. But uh, it's like, like, God, man, am I bleeding? <laughs> How am I looking? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, that was the songs. Um, really, really, really bored with Come On and Love Me and was really bored with Rock and Roll All Night, too, because there's no solo in it, like you said. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like you just you just get warmed up for that big crescendo of a solo and song song's gone. Um, Getaway was fun too, but it wasn't as fun as the other ones. I mean, Room Service, Rock Bottom, She, Lever All I Can. Th- those songs stood out. I've always felt that uh, Dress to Kill is like a good guitar learner's album. You know, stuff like Come On, Come On and Love Me. You know, was one of the earliest songs I learned. You know, when I was first starting on a guitar, it was like, okay, this is kind of easy to figure out. And, and I'm talking rhythm. I'm not talking yeah. lead uh, by any stretch because I'm I'm not in the lead. And you know, so so much of that stuff is just it's 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 a fun album to play. So you know that that's one. When I think of the sonic quality of what you did with Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell, you know, I look forward to hearing that particularly. Because that's that's the one that's the weakest link for me. Well, we'll see what ha- happens with it when it gets into the mixing stages and, and and all that stuff. I don't expect anything less out of it than I did with uh, Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell. Um, same players. We use the exact same players on this. So one good thing about saying that is, is the quality is going to be just as good as the other one. And who knows, it might even be better because now everybody has had to live with it for a while. So... You know, the longer you live with something, the more adapted you come to it, and the better you play it. Yep. So, although I don't know if we could do hotter and hell better. God, that was so close to being dead on and made the hair of my arms rise up. <laughs> I was like, wow, listen to that. Well, moving on to the next batch of Kiss albums, then. What was the song? Because I know me and you, when we first discussed the project, I remember it was very odd because both of us agreed that the first song that really kind of grabbed us was Baby Driver, which is just such one that you wouldn't even think. And you're like, wow, this is really an underrated gem that isn't going to be, that never got its full appreciation. Stan Pendridge, God bless him. <laughs> you know, I'm sure Chris can say whatever he wants. Stan wrote that song. Uh, uh, 
I got a buddy of mine. His name's Bill Elliott. He's one of my dearest friends in the world. Uh, Bill's an, he's an EMT and a nurse, uh, and just an all around great guy and a major kiss fanatic. I mean, he's a freak when it comes to kiss. Um, has been bugging me since the hotter and hotter in hell album. Hey man, will you please do baby driver and let me come in and play cowbell on it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's about to get his wish. <laughs> but, but that is, you know, that song, that song, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I correlate it to strange ways, man, dark chords, dark voicings, uh, just the way they did it. Um, and of course, by that time, uh, uh, they had, you know, they've got one really good album under their belt in a production sense. I'm not saying it sounded good, but but Bob Ezrin brought in a whole different way of thinking, something completely different from what they were used to doing. Um, you know, and then they go out and they, they hijack Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix's producer, and bring in for Rock and Roll Over. And, and uh, the Baby Driver is a great tune, a lot, lot of fun to do. We talk about a song that grooves. Oh, I love it. I, it, it's you know, it's, all, it's it's a sore thumb in the Kiss catalog. It sticks out like one, but it isn't why? doesn't it groove? I mean, it, it's oh that God. one song. It's completely different than just about everything else in that early catalog. It's so underrated. I don't understand how that song can be uh, can be downplayed in the catalog because every time that thing comes on in in my car on my on my iPhone, you know, of course I've got my iTunes music on there. And it comes on. I just turn up the stereo. I'm like, oh my god, here we go, man. I mean, it makes me want to punch somebody in the mouth. <laughs> so like Crazy Nights, Baby Driver comes on. You turn it up to ten because that that's just what it does. I mean, it makes me smile every time I hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, and that's like for some reason I'm the same way with. Um, oh my god, love them and leave them. Oh, I love that song, man. I mean, you know, and all the oh yeah, all the all the grand duos that's going on in that song, you know, and everything. But that's another song I just want to turn up because I'm like, God, man, these are songs that. And even though they shot a video for that song, that should have been in a live set. And it didn't make it until that was uh, 2006, I think, was the first time. Well, they they, they yeah. did do it back in the day a handful of times, right? Um, yeah, they rehearsed it and yeah. and they did right. perf- they did perform it uh, a handful, yeah. It's believed at least at the first show on the tour, you know, and, yeah. and it's just so fun. I mean, where Baby Driver makes me smile, I mean, love him and leave him. How can you not? It's like a living caricature of Gene in a song, yeah. wrapped up, served to you yeah. on a plate, steaming with, you know, <laughs> dripping blood. You know, it, it, yeah, yeah. How can you not? I mean, it's just so kiss. It's it's awesome. Oh, yeah. And it worked so good. It worked so good when they did the video for it. And then you're like, wow, they, they were promoting Rock and Roll Over and they didn't do Dr. Love. They did Love Him and Leave Him instead. It was such an odd choice. And you, I, for me, I'm glad they did it that way. Cause love you got to wonder at that time if they realized what Dr. Love was. I mean, you know, Dr. Love on the Rock and Roll Out, Rock and Roll Over album is good. But my God, the Live 2 version, man, that's like two different bands doing that song. Yeah. You know, there is a reason why I call Rock and Roll Over the very best Kiss album, because it it encapsulates for me everything that they were as a rock and roll band. It's got the humor, it's got the innuendo, it's got the production, and by God, it's got the songwriting and the performance. You know, what those guys were best at is just playing rock and roll music, not... Mm You know, Bob Ezrin took them to the extreme of their ability and their talents. That's as far as they were ever able to go. 
because to me the elder is the exact same thing done again it didn't break any new ground for them um even having a crap story kind of uh, um, you know a, a mishmash you know and it's yeah. not really yeah. fair to call yeah. it crap but you know because star trek was a good movie uh Star Wars is a good movie, and Lord of the Rings is a great book. So it wasn't new. It didn't break new ground. It was just Destroyer done again with new songs to the same... With a different theme. Same recipe, different theme. theme. Uh, Rock and Roll Over is basically the first album done again with the correct producer. So if you think, what would the first album have been with Eddie Kramer... Well, go back and listen Eddie to Kramer the seventy. Listen to those Eddie demos. Kramer was there those original demos. demos. Yeah, listen to those and what? listen to the difference. I've, I've never understood why Eddie Kramer didn't do the first album. You know, as a kid, I didn't know about that stuff. You know, at, at let's see, was seventy four, eight years old. I didn't give a flying about who's producing a record at that time. I just knew it sounded good. I knew what I liked. As but as time went on, a couple years later, I started to understand it. Then I heard the Zeppelin albums. Then I hear that big drum kit, and I'm like. Wow, man. And then you find out, you know, reading through magazines like the little geek that I was. Oh, God, who's this Eddie Kramer dude? And then you see it on the back of a Hendrix album, on the back of a Zeppelin album. Then you find out later that he did their demos. And you're like, WTF, man, what's going on here? (laughs) I mean, I would have gone out and found the budget for Eddie Kramer because, I mean, rock and roll over sounds so good. It was done so right, and it was with the it was with the producer that had the correct attitude for Kiss. It's like he knew what to do with them. You know, I can understand why Dress to Kill, why they took the route they did. Uh, you know, because at that time, you know, let's face it, Casablanca was was on a yeah. life support. Yeah. And and you know they were probably on life support when Hotter and Hell was going on too. Um, and the live album, you know, they bring in Eddie Kramer at that point, you know, maybe because they just figured we got to let's just give one last ditch effort and why he didn't go on to do Destroyer. I don't know, but I agree with you. Uh, a lot of people say that Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun are the best sound records of the, t- of the first six. And they are. But I, I also say that Rock and Roll Over was here. Love Gun kind of slid a little bit. It, it yeah. got that dry treatment again. And I don't understand what that was. I don't know if they were in a hurry because they were so hot at the time. They had a little, they had smaller time in the studio, and and Neil wanted to get everything out to keep the money, the cash flow going. I, I don't know, but Bingo. rock and roll over, freaking killer record, killer songs, killer attitude. I almost didn't touch the, I almost didn't even touch that record because of the fact that it's so good. Yeah. I almost said I don't know if we should touch this or not. And but we went ahead and did it. Uh, but man, that 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 album to me is the quintessential kiss. Yeah, w- without a doubt, and I think yeah. the difference between that and Love Gun, because Love Gun's got some tremendously good songs in terms of their technical yeah. structure. Come on, I stole your love. Shock, yeah. shock me. Come on, Ace. You know, um, they're yeah. not they're not performing live. And exactly what you said is they were rushed. They were on a very tight budget. They went way over budget, and they they split the difference um, eventually. There's paperwork uh, that I guess I should share up on the fact scan side one of these days about what happened with that album. Yeah, do do that. I want to see it. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. There's some there's some great documentation on that album. So they go in and it's you know it's bada bing bada boom. Record the album. You're, you're out. Right. With Rock and Roll Over, they had a little bit more time, so they go in and they're playing live. And that's the difference between a band playing its material essentially live and then going in and overdubbing. Whereas yeah. when it came yeah. time for 
you know, Love Gun, and I hate Love Gun in terms of its sonics. It's like dressed to kill. Oh, yeah. It's like Crazy Nights. Again, it's taken the edge off that material, which could otherwise be extraordinarily good. So, let's talk about Love Gun. How do you approach that one, and and do you do anything with that? Because it's missing that top end. You're totally missing it on the Kiss version. Do you try and put that back in, uh, or do you keep it? You know. I think that Love Gun is an album. If I had to sit here and describe it, I would describe it as mud sonically uh it's a very muddy album there's not a lot of cleanliness in there you don't get a lot of uh you don't get a lot of matter of fact you get no separation in your frequencies um you, you know uh you have lows mids and highs and what a lot of people don't understand is is you have the low lows the mid lows the high lows the low mids the mid mids the high mids the low highs you know you go on and so there wasn't a lot of time uh it seemed like and again let's go come on you gotta go you gotta go and then, you know, I could see Neil standing behind Eddie going, come on, we got to go, got to go. I got to make money. I got to keep these guys on the road. And, and I can see all that happening. Now, whether that's what happened or not, I don't know. But um, with approaching that album, we I'm approaching that album very similar to the way that I'm approaching Hotter Than Hell. We're just going to make it sound clear. We're going to separate everything so that people can hear, you know, because I don't know about you guys. And, and this is my feeling. But when you go and listen to the Hotter Than Hotter Than Hell, and you go back and listen to the original, so in some cases, for the first time, you're hearing things in those songs that you never really heard before, because of how how I cleaned it up, and how we how we um, went about the frequency differentials, and and made sure that things snuck through and things breathed better, and the low end didn't sound like boo, 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 boo. it actually had definition. You know, uh, on the version that we did versus the original version. Gosh, man, it's nice to hear a picture. I'm in it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, oh wow, there it is. And uh, um, and we painstakingly listened to that stuff because John wanted to make sure that he got the right amount of kicks in there, and there wasn't a ghost note or or something like that. And so I took the original album into the studio, in through a filter, and we kind of separated it out so we could listen to it. Um, and so with Love Gun, you're right, the highs are missing. But even more so than the highs, man, the mids, that album doesn't crunch like Rock and Roll ever did. Yeah, true. You know, and, and there's a lot of crunch missing. And Rock and Roll is all about the mids. You know, as if you get the mids right, if you get the mids where they're supposed to be, and those guitars, as Paul put it, are in the red line just a little bit to get the bite yep. and to do the... Uh-oh things that you needed to do if you that's kind of the problem with love gun yeah and and that's just my thing it's it's missing the sonic signature without a doubt yeah which when when you compare it to the studio side of alive 2 where they again go back into a theater and they're performing live and they're Mm -hmm. you know okay aces on the control room floor you know or at a card game or whatever and bob's playing the guitar but they're still playing you know they're going back to how they capture you know here's the thing for me with those albums this tells me that paul stanley if he's ever going to do a new kiss album kind of needs to get back to get back to that organic kind of you're a band you play the material i'll produce it I'll even give you. I'll even give you a very affordable budget, man. Just let me produce it. <laughs> but you're right about that, Julian. Paul does. He needs to, you know, 
those things are tough, you know, and, and I kept remember reading in the press when Sonic Boom was about to come out. Oh, I'm going back to the way we did it in the 70s and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but he, he went he went to the wrong side of that. You know, I don't know how much he had to do in mixing. I don't know if he was if he was that's uh, that's where the problem is. He was a major player. The mixing and the mastering of what killed those albums. I mean, because it's not the recording. They're using class, so they're going analog to digital the right way. I I say this. Do it how you did it in the 70s. Do it in two weeks. You're going to give yourself two weeks. You've got the songs. Paul Stanley knows how to write a freaking song. Gene Simmons, well, he will bring you 50 songs. Sorry, go ahead. Gene knows how to write. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I should have cut you off. Gene knows how to write, too. I mean, you look at some of the classic Kiss songs from the 70s, and that guy knows how to write. If his mind's on it, it's done. Yeah, but you you also look at some of the classic songs from the 70s. Calling Dr. Love is the perfect example. How many different demos exist of different chunks of that song? So Gene Simmons yeah. knows how to write in chunks. You just have to take the right mm-hmm. pieces and put them together. And that's mm-hmm. what I think Paul Stanley mm-hmm. is good at saying. Gene, this is a good section. This is a good section. Boom. Now we're, we put them together. Whereas, you know, Gene just doesn't have a filter. He's just not right. cap- capable. Yeah, no. <laughs> whether it's his Twitter account, whether it's his songwriting, you know, like you said, he's the Donald Trump of rock and roll. Does not have a filter. He is. He is. So you know, yeah. he he totally writes. He writes some absolutely brilliant lyrics. He writes some fantastic parts, and you know, when he gets Binky to play it, he gets some really good stuff. So you know, that's kind of where, if they ever do it again, and you know. Please, you know, Gene. No one cares about. What I hope they do. I was going to say no one cares about your 150 demos, but I'd be lying because I care. You're, um, you're going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to buy it. I'm totally going to buy it. I'm totally going <laughs> to buy it unless I have to buy a four thousand dollar book to get the freaking songs. Uh, that'll be coming. That'll be the deluxe edition. You know, that'll be coming. So, so Jeff, so... <laughs> we've talked about the pretty much the first six albums, Jeff. Uh, I know you've talked about maybe throwing in some bonus things, some Alive too. We, we discussed yesterday maybe some Elder. Maybe you want to belt out some Just a Boy. That, that would be fantastic. Once was enough for that song. <laughs> what else do you have out there that you think you might throw in as the little uh, little trinkets to throw in as a little bonus? Save your love. Well, you know, we, we've talked about we've talked about the Oath We've talked about I. We've talked about only you. We've talked about Mr. Blackwell. Um, we have we have also talked about Is That You nice. from Unmasked. We've talked about Torpedo Girl. We've talked about She's So European. Uh, everybody's everybody's in agreement that we're going to do Charisma. Nice. Um, you nice. know, so we've talked about lots of things. Um, we have also gone on and talked about doing what we all feel should be the real version of Lick It Up. <laughs> in, in, in what way? <laughs> <laughs> Giving it something more than just an A chord. Why? You know, change... Why? <laughs> Why, you say? Oh. Man, you, you're just going to hurt Vinny's feelings. <laughs> 
Well, well, we'll be sure to let Vinny, Vinny know when someone ever talks to him. Vinny, my Skype account, have him call me. <laughs> if anyone can find him, I'm sure. I'm sorry, we got <laughs> Meredith on line one. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> Um, oh god! Well, this is really going to be a great you know, project, Jeff. I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to when that comes out. Uh, I want to get to some hydrogen stuff with you and some of the other projects you're doing, but I just want to touch on one or two quick kiss things while we've got you first. Um, yeah. Since the last time we had you on, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame happened. Yeah. And what did you? Because I know for me personally, we we all love the band, but that was kind of the one thing that got me where I was like, okay, Paul and Gene, you really got to suck it up, and for the fans, go up there and play a couple songs with these guys and just do it that, that's where they kind of lost a little bit on me but uh what'd you think about what they chose to do that night and versus which members got in and who didn't well the members who got in had nothing to do with paul and gene that that has to do with that so-called board of directors that runs that big glass building in cleveland uh You know, I, I can make a case for Carr and Kulik getting it. Absolutely. I love those guys, and they were there during a highly visual time where they were on MTV every day and helped keep the keep it afloat. I mean, Vinny did a great job on his two things. I could maybe make a case for him. The rest, maybe, I, I understand. Maybe make I would a case be happy for Vinny. to see any of them get in, but I completely understand the fact that the ones who made it were the ones who made the impact or the ones who should be there. I've never had a problem with who made it in and who didn't, although I'd be happy for Carr and Kulik again. But, man, you've, you've got to go in there that night and play something instead of just walking up and walking out. I personally think that the thing that would have been right would have been to have played. Um, I also think that if you're going to do that, that the thing to, to be right is to let anybody and everybody who's still alive because we're missing Mark St. John, right? Yep. And Eric are, yeah. Yeah, Mark, Mark was never a major contributor. I mean, let's face it, Paul actually did a lot of the lead work on Animalized. Um, and Mark come in and play some stuff, but he didn't have any creative in, in, input on that album. And then Bruce was in by the time that the tapes dried on that album. Well, he actually um, played some of it, too. Yeah. And Bruce actually so, on Animalized, though, huh? You know, I don't care what they had to say about the Hall of Fame. It's a farce, and I think everybody really kind of sees that. But it's the Hall of Fame is more for the fans, I think, and the fans' ability to reach out and grab something and go, "Oh my God, look how great this is," than the actual musicians themselves. And 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 I think that. Um, Wow, man, I, I I would have liked to have seen a stage open up, and I would like to have seen Simmons, Stanley, Fraley, Chris, Singer, Kulik, Thayer. Um, That's it. And I would have, and no, I would have liked to have seen Vinny, yeah. because I'll tell you right Again, now, good luck finding him. if it if it wasn't for Vinny Vincent, I don't think Creatures and Look It Up would have been as successful as they oh, were. No. Absolutely. Vinny's importance can't be understated for what he did. There's, yeah. there's unfortunately a little bit too much water under that bridge. <laughs> I don't see them ever and calling him. Yeah, and that's too bad. 
I mean, you know, it really is because Vinny, Vinny disappears behind all the legalities and he comes back again and God, here comes revenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, I mean, he, Vinny Vincent is basically responsible for rec, for, for re-energizing and bringing back and resurrecting a career twice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Paul and Gene can say whatever they want. And to their fairness, they both said he was, he was a brilliant mind, a brilliant songwriter, a brilliant player. But, you know, that, that little thing called narcissism just got him. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I would have liked to have seen him played. I, I think them getting in the hall was overdue. Um, I don't think it was handled correctly. But at the end of the day, I'm me sitting here. I'm not with them. I don't do anything with them. Uh, I'm a fan just like you guys. I support them because I buy their stuff every year. I don't know how many versions of the first Kiss album I've got. Eight track, couple albums, cassette, CD, the remasters. I mean, I've paid for at least one room at Simmons' house. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why with fans like us, they have so many rooms in this house. Right? Exactly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> let's do so let's do one more Kiss thing that's happened since the last time you were on. Uh, sure. Speaking of covers albums, Ace did one of his own. And, yeah. you know, I know you've heard that, but one real fun thing to discuss is Ace's redo of Parasite versus yours. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Oh, oh, God, to- God, totally. bless Ace. God bless Ace. I love him, but uh, his Parasite fell a little short. I mean, I love what he did on Cold Gin. That was fantastic. And some of the song choices didn't work for me. I, I have no use for Wild Thing. There were some parts of that album that didn't work for me. But yeah. specifically, I listened to Parasite, and I'm like, wow, it's so great to finally have an official Ace vocal on that. But then you get to the solo and the guesting, and just it, it fell flat for me, whereas yours was a little oh. more exact. So what do you think of Ace's album? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I liked uh I like the song that Paul did, the old free song. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like that. And of course, you and I talked, Chris, that that was probably a last minute thing, but it still it, it still came out, you know, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did like the version of Cold Gin, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But I don't know. I, I just I didn't like the production on it. It sounded like it was done very quickly without much uh, care put into it. Um, you know. And as far as his version of Parasite versus mine, I nailed it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, hey, listen, he wanted to embellish on it a little bit. It's his song. Let him embellish on it a little bit. Sure. Doesn't mean that everybody has to like it. Um, in, in my case, I did not have that luxury to embellish, and I would have never embellished on it. Um, but, you know, hey, he's Ace Fraley. Yeah. The end of the story. Great. Well, let's touch on uh, some of your projects that you have going on now. Sure. We have uh, the first new Hydrogen album in quite a while is coming, and that got held up a bit because we've had a, a lineup change and some fun things that have happened here. And now for you guys, this actually kind of ties in with Kissing Away because you've moved on from a highly visual part of your presentation of what the band was. You now have a new lead singer. And you were marketed very much towards where you were before. So what do you want to let us know about how you've moved on and what's coming up? Got a real heavy record coming out. Real heavy. I've heard it. I know. Um, yeah. You, you, you're the only one 
<laughs> so, um, by the way, Devil God Devil absolutely rules. So we'll we'll move on from that. Uh, Devil dude, God Devil, that's a killer. That that song, yeah, it's killer. But so what we went from is we went from a band with a uh, lead singer, um, uh, a five seven five eight blonde who was built really well, beautiful woman, uh, with a great voice. Um, who who felt that the visual was more important than the audio audible, um, and so you know that's the way it is. And and um, I can't answer what happened with her. I don't know. Um, she decided not only to move on from the band, but to move on from our relationship as well. And so I haven't talked to her in two years. Ouch. Um, and so, no, I mean, literally, haven't spoken a word, and I've actually gone out of my way to not talk to her or not see her even. So, um, but you can't take anything away from her. The first, no, the first official. Well, you know, the album Bombshell wasn't called Bombshell for no reason. Um, <laughs> you know, she she's a stunning looking woman. She's she's a she's all the things that you see and hear in that realm, hmm. and. You know, and she left because she left. And that's, you know, that's it. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, we had musical differences and, and cite all the usual stuff. Um, she left. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you could have gone the route, which probably would have been easy to be to go find a clone. See how I'm tying into the kiss thing here? <laughs> you could have went out and gotten a look-alike, a sound-alike. But no, you've gone a completely different direction and have really changed the makeup of the band. And, you know, the first video hey, was out. Big and... tits aren't hard to find these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dime a dozen, baby. <laughs> what I love what you've done now, the video is out for My Redemption. And yeah. right off the bat, it's a statement. One, the past is gone. That's the first thing you've done with the burning of the old memorabilia. But then yeah. it moves on. And, and you notice when you watch the video, it's the band. Everybody's getting their turn to shine it's focusing on everyone instead of getting another person to just be a fill-in and stand in and do with that you've said no let's now take the band and go a completely new direction with it well you know i at first as you and i discussed once before and this is all new to julian i i had looked at a couple of girls that fit that bill mm -hmm. i thought well we'll just pick up and go on from there it's working blah 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 and then it just hit me i don't want to do that i don't i don't want to uh we're not going to mention names. Uh, I don't want to deal with the narcissism of that of that person, of that type of person who who is like you know they spend more time doing this and mm -hmm. than they do fixing their mic, you know. And and so I didn't want to deal with that anymore. And so I was going to shut the band down, done, finished, just going to let it die silently. And then I get a phone call from my sound man saying, "Hey, I found I found the only person that can." And fill this, this this void, and I go, oh yeah, who's that? And he told me, and her name's Erica Parrot, and I go, why can she fill it? Well, she's tiny. I go, okay. She's black. I go, oh, okay. She's inked. Oh. She's got attitude. Oh, and she's got a huge voice. And when I hear tiny and huge voice, I go, Ronnie James Dio, the female version, maybe like a little Veronica Freeman. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. And so I had a meeting with her and really liked the meeting. She's a great person. She's uh, she's she's quite amazing, actually. 
owns her own business, man. She's got all kinds of irons in the fires, and she does great things. And so I, I met, gave her some music, and I gave her the music to uh, Down in Flames, Chris. That's the music she got. That's the very first thing she got. Yeah. And then we went and saw her. She was sitting in with the band, so we went and watched her sing. Blew me away. Uh, I can't remember what song what she did. It was a journey tune, man, and she was just crushing the notes. And I was like, wow. And then I heard her get some attitude in her voice, and I was like, oh, there's that black coming out. I'm going to get me a blackie choir, you know, or something. Like that. You know, it's going to be cool. But what a great person, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so we, we brought her in the studio, and she came in completely prepared and just killed it. And so I was like, okay, you're in. And then I went the, reaction and said, the word of her being in has been out there for some time. Has there been any backlash really, or it's really just been straightforward? Wow, great. What's this is where the band is going. Let's go hop along for the ride. Well, first of all, the world of difference between her and Julie. The world of difference is, is Julie was a very stationary person on stage, and she didn't have a lot of movement. Um, great voice, just oh, yeah. not the showmanship side of it so much. And Erica, on the other hand, is all over the place. You saw the video. I mean, her her aura is as big as the freaking moon, man. I mean, you you will pay attention to this chick. And not because she's egotistical, not because she wants to be that person, but you will pay attention to her because she's delivering a message, and she wants you to know what that message is. Um, you know, um, and, and that's the big deal. Now, people find out, you know, I'm just, I've got people who just email me here in the last couple of weeks. They saw the video. What What the hell? Where's Jewel? I'm like, what rock you been living under? You know? <laughs> it, it's and been out for a long time, yeah. It's been out. It, it has been public since January of 16. Yeah. I mean, you know, and maybe even before, I think I put up some posts of her, like, turned around backwards in the studio with me and Chris and, mm-hmm. and some other things. So it's been out there for maybe even 18 months. I don't know. Um but you had the naysayers, you had the people go all, oh, and then the video comes out, and then all those all those emails come back to me, and they're like, oh my god, I don't know, I wasn't expecting that, dude, that's awesome. And so, so you're not going to forget the band before because of what it was. If you're a fan, you're going to always remember what was, Absolutely. and and you and especially if you liked it, you know, you, let's pay credit to where credits due. Julie, what Julie? I guess it's Davis now, but Julie Westlake. Earned her keep. Mm-hmm. She more than earned her keep, and and that's always going to be a fact. But now Erica Parrott is is earning her keep, and Erica's existence inside of this band has allowed this band to go and be what it really should have been, which is more aggressive, more on edge, more um, more about what today is. I mean, we kind of cross. I always tell everybody, "What's new album?" Like I go, it's kind of a cross between Judas Priest and In This Moment, you know. Because Erica brings that real aggressive, ah! you know, and and this, the kind of stuff that that, that what's her name from in this moment, it, it's a bombshell, uh, brings to the brings to the whole situation. But you got the guys in the band. We're all you know older, so our influences are Sabbath, Priest, Dimebag, and Pantera, and all this. So we in the in the late stages of the band, we were doing more pop driven stuff because that's what Julie wanted. That's how she thrived. Now we're back to doing where we left off with uh, Deadly Passions at, which Deadly Passions was much more aggressive and absolutely heavy than Bombshell. 
And so now this album kind of makes Deadly Passions look like a kindergarten record because she allows it to happen because she's all about it. So if you're a Hydrogen fan and you liked what you heard before, but you're a fan and you want to see what's going on now, I'm telling you it's going to be well worth your wait and well worth the time to pick it up on March 10th. And the reaction you've heard from the label, everybody's happy? Oh, the label's ecstatic. Uh, high Vol Music, you know, and we're distributed by Sony Red. Uh, we got a big initial order from them. Um, and yeah, things have been really th- Actually, things are. this has been the best release that we've ever had. You know, this has been the release that everything has kind of fallen together. And I have people, I had emails yesterday. One said, I think you, I don't think that you're prepared for what's going to happen with hydrogen. And I'm like, well, if, if I'm not prepared, you know, good for me. You know, good for me if it ends up going through the stratosphere because I've been really concentrating heavy on my solo stuff, which is a completely different beast. Um, you know, but, but man, it's exciting right now to see what's happening with that. Well, there you go. Little Westlake 17, which that which that is nothing but a conglomeration of stuff that I've done in the past, uh, where I've written with bands, uh, played with bands, produced. Um, the only way that the songs made the record is if I played on it and produced it, basically, um, and and wrote it. Um, and that's just some of the stuff that goes on there. But the new album's called In the Key of Blue. Uh, it's it's kind of a solo rock record, and it'll be out sometime in June. But you know, and then there's that little thing that I just got included in called Heaven's Ashes. <laughs> a bunch of guys from Canada and me, uh, Azrael St. Michael, R.C. Rishi on bass, myself on guitar, and then Mike Paradigm from Jersey on drums. Um, we uh, we're doing a really serious heavies kind of in the in the in the vibe of Skid Row's Slave to the Grind album. Um, Ooh. Yeah, we we got we got put together on paper. Well, good thing for that paper that we all know each other. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on right now with with me and and um, you know, and you never know, man. You just don't know. I, I'm seeing a new chick named Becky, who's great. So life's really good right now. I have no complaints. How about touring? Want to? I I, I want to leave and never come home. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, hotel, hotel, motel. I wonder where we heard that at before. Um, but, um, you know, the hydrogen stuff, we actually got people calling now after they saw the video. Promoters are going, oh, 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 well, you know. So the hydrogen show will be much different because I'm telling you what, that little girl, that little woman is going to be right up your ass. I mean, she's not going to be unnoticed. She's going to deliver the meaning of the song. She's going to give it the energy that it, that it always should have had. Julie brought the energy, but this girl brings a whole different level of energy. And she's interesting, too, because this is her first real professional gig, right? Down in Flames is the first song she ever wrote. Yeah. Well, and, and this isn't a when Kiss was introducing Eric Carr. This is his first band, which we all know is just complete nonsense. This really is her introduction. Yes. yes. Yeah. She'd done cover stuff with bands before, but this is her first original uh, band and you know and you go from not doing anything like this to actually stepping on the scene with a band who has a, a good size following in Europe and is pretty well known yeah it's a big deal for her man so I want to make sure that it goes well for her. you know just uh, talking from the peanut gallery over here um you know, nice gallery you got going up there. <laughs> you know, you know that, that's a that's a great attitude to have. I mean, it sounds to me like it's a new chapter starting for you and the band. You know, so. 
you know i i certainly as someone who respects musicians who ex respects what you guys do and try to do you know wish you the very very best of luck uh, as you embark on this new endeavor i hope you can get attached to a tour and get out there and get out here because you know i'm in san francisco and i've you know finally started discovering going out to clubs and seeing bands again and yeah. you know i'm i'm looking you know and a lot of people are to discover new music and just dis discover new old music you know stuff that we've missed and you know when you hear about people who are working musicians and the struggles that you go through i mean it, it it's just we we can never get our heads around it unless we've done it you know to to hear you talking about having a new singer moving on from such a visual you know aspect of your career to be now changing you, you've just gone through a new door you, you, your map yeah. is completely you know changed so you know power to you right. and your band and, and everyone in it i appreciate that you know and i really appreciate you guys um uh just by giving me the medium to do this you know talk about not just the kiss stuff but 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 given time to actually talk about this you know that's that's very cool of you and i appreciate it very much i, I like I've known Chris for years now, and I really like Chris, and this is the second time you and I have dealt with each other, Julian. I think you're a great person, too. Um, and, and to be able to give me a medium to, to, to have a few minutes to talk about what I'm doing is great. But as Chris knows, at 49 years old, man, my whole life got started over. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's not something that you like to have happen at 49. <laughs> but, no, but, no, you know, no one, no right one wants that. <laughs> no, you know. I walked away from a ton of stuff from a bad situation and, you know, almost put a band on the shelf and the whole bit. It's been a it's been a real trying experience, but it's been a real learning experience. And, and I do feel like uh, that I've been given a second lease in a lot of different ways, not only in, with hydrogen, but my solo stuff. And and, you know, and let's face it, hotter than hotter than hell would have done what it did if it wasn't for people like you guys promoting it. I got orders from people I've never heard of before for that album. And uh, CD Baby, about every three or four weeks, calls me up and says, hey, we need 10 more, you know. And so and while a lot of people go, 10? Yeah, but you do that, and you over time, that starts adding up, you know. And, and I never expected it to come flying out of the gate. I expected it to be like a dinosaur. It's just going to sludge along, and it's going to do well. And that's exactly what it's done. And you guys have been a huge part of that. So um, – I will always be a big supporter of what you do, and I will tell KISS fans about what you do, and I'll tell other fans, too, anybody wants to know. Um, but from a working musician, Mr. Julian, I appreciate those comments and his sentiments because it is painful. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get it's to like the nitty-gritty. Uh, Jeff, yeah. where, can, where can people find you? For news on hydrogen and everything that's coming up with the band, Where's the best place to get in touch with you guys and to get the up-to-date, accurate news? Well, you can find us at Hydrogen.com, which if you're not a fan and you don't know anything about us, it's H-Y-D-R-O-G-Y-N. We, we couldn't use the scientific spelling because I couldn't copyright it. So we, we changed it. So it's Hydrogen.com. That's where you can get us. We're also on Facebook, of course, at Hydrogen Official. We have an official Instagram. We have an official uh, Twitter, which is all, you know, Hydrogen. Um, and I kind of hide in that a little bit. I'm getting ready to open up jeffwestlakemusic.com here pretty soon uh, just for everything that's going on. And I have my own my own Facebook at Jeff Westlake, and Erica Parrott has her own at Erica Parrott. 
and Jeff Boggs and Chris Sammons and John Cardellino, where none of us are smart enough to come up with slick names. <laughs> so we just hide behind our own name. Um, I also have Ridgeline Productions, which is my production house, uh, which is RidgelineProductions.com um, that you could find us at as well. And if any of you people on here are, are like, don't remember any of those things and you need to find somebody, I'm sure that somebody can shoot you guys an email. Chris knows all my contacts. Chris and I talk via text and messenger all the time. And occasionally the phone call will come in, you know? Um, but those are how, those are how you find me and, um, anything else that comes up. If another new venue comes up that you can find me at, I'll be sure to get in touch with both of you and let you know. Fantastic. Chris, lead us out. Jeff, uh, thank you again for your time. We really look forward. As you get closer to the release date, I'm sure I'll know more of what's going on. I can let people know when we're creeping up upon release date for the Kiss session. But, uh, I mean, as someone who's heard the Blues album coming up, I know you got a lot of good stuff coming up. So uh, best of luck on everything, and thank you for your time, and uh, thanks for being a great pal over the years. Hey, man. I, I can't say enough about you guys. Thank you. Hope it all pans out. Um, and... As soon as I can get everything done and we get the name of the box set etched in and I can actually kind of protect it a little bit, we'll be able to release it. And for everybody, I like, I like knows, the name I gave you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably the name it's going to be. That that guy in the box above me, <laughs> he's going to he's he's going to be able to forever pat himself on the back because it's really freaking clever. <laughs> oh yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, and and Chris, the thing about it is Julian's out on the West Coast, so we probably won't be able to do that. Maybe when we do the photo shoot, that's going to be a photo shoot. And <laughs> maybe you might want to come down. <laughs> might need some kind of behind-the-scenes thing. We'll keep that for the director's cut later. <laughs> oh, yeah, the director's cut. The one that's going to come out after we're dead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because if it comes out before, we will be dead anyway, though. So that's another story. On the spot. He's a boom. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeff. We, we really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. And I'll be talking to you soon. All right, guys. Hey, have a great evening. Julian, you still got a lot of the day left. Damn it. So anyways, you guys <laughs> you guys have a good evening, and thank you very much again. Awesome, you, Jeff. Jeff. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to lead us out of the show. So wherever you've been listening today, do join us on Facebook, on the Kiss FAQ message board, wherever you listen to the show. We thank you for giving us your ears, and as always, we hope we haven't done any damage to your brain. But uh, thank you very much, Jeff and Chris, for joining me today. We hope you enjoy this episode, and we will see you next time. So thank you very much. Bye for now. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Jeff, thank you very much. Take care, man. Julian, thank you. You guys have a great evening, okay? Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.